we are all flawed people. Sometimes we're going to get things wrong. It is just inevitable with the amount of things there are to understand in the Bible. We are not going to understand everything perfectly all the time. That's just not going to happen. Or if you've gotten there, please let me know because I am not there yet. We are going to get things wrong. The question is, what do we do once we realize that we've missed the truth? What do we do once we realize that God's truth is over here and I'm not there with it? If you want to turn to 2 Chronicles 18, that's where we're going to be for the majority of this morning. What we're going to see in this story is we're going to see three people who all have very different responses and reactions to the truth. We're going to see one person who throughout the whole story holds to God's truth firmly despite the opposition around him. We're going to see one person that is going to completely reject God's truth just because he doesn't want to hear it. And then we're going to see a third person that is stuck somewhere in the middle, trying to decide how important God's truth really is to them. And we're going to look at that because I think that In my life, I've seen myself have all three reactions to the truth. I think there's something that we can learn from each of these three men, for better and for worse. So as we come into this story, I want to introduce you to two of these men before we start. Ahab is the king of Israel, and as you probably know, Ahab is bad. He is Really bad. Just as bad as it gets. He's idolatrous. He's selfish. He's weak. In fact, he is the worst king in Israel's history. Just the worst of the worst. But he's the king in the north. And in the south, Jehoshaphat is the king of the southern kingdom. And he's good. In chapter 17, we don't have time to read through it, but chapter 17, verses 3 through 8, we're told that God is with Jehoshaphat because he rejected idols. He sought after God. He walks in the ways of David, seeking God's commands, that he's courageous in the ways of God, completely reforming Judah. These are super great, amazing things. Loving God and leaving idols, being strong and faithful. It's high praise that the Bible has for Jehoshaphat. The problem is, as we get close to our story for this morning, Jehoshaphat has, so to speak, pitched his tent towards Israel. He has become very, very close with Ahab. And that leads to the trouble of the story today. The righteous making an alliance 
with the most wicked. If you're in 2 Chronicles 18, I'm going to start just by reading uh, verses 1 through 5. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made an alliance, a marriage alliance with Ahab. And after some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him, and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are, my people as your people. We will be with you in the war." And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. We'll stop there for a second. So here we see that Jehoshaphat... A good king has made an alliance with evil Ahab. And he's actually gotten so close with him that he has invited him to become part of the family. There's a marriage alliance here. These two men have become very close allies. They are extremely, if you want to use the the phrasing, yoked together now. And Ahab sort of takes advantage of that. He's, he's ready to call in a favor. And so he throws a big party. I mean, this is a massive feast. He is slaughtering all kinds of animals and getting them ready for Jehoshaphat and his men to come into town. And after he's sort of buttered them up for a while, he's got this big party going. He says, hey, by the way, I got something I need to ask you. How would you feel about going with me to war and trying to regain some of the land I lost to the Syrians? And Jehoshaphat says, yeah, for sure. My people are your people. My army is your army. My horses are your horses. I'd be happy to go to battle with you. Jehoshaphat immediately folds. But it sounds like, to me, as I read through the story, it's almost like he hears the words come out of his mouth. And he says, actually, wait one second. Have you asked God if this is a battle you should be going to yet? Which, in and of itself, is a great thing. The problem is, Jehoshaphat's already said, yeah, for sure I'll go to war with you, before he asks if God approves of this war. But Ahab obliges. He says, yeah, I can make sure that we get not just one prophet, not two prophets, 400 prophets. If one prophet is good, 400 prophets must be great. And we're going to see what God has to say. And of course, the 400 prophets come in and they all seemingly with one voice say, go to battle. For sure you're going to win. This is going to be great. But Jehoshaphat, there's something about this he doesn't trust. He sees through it. 
I don't know what it was. It doesn't say. I don't know if it was the convenience of 400 people all having the exact same message or if it was just the showiness of it all. I don't know what it was. But whatever it is, Jehoshaphat is still not convinced by these 400 prophets. All of this seems a little too convenient to him. And so we're going to see as we pick back up in verse 6, he's going to press a little harder to find an actual prophet of God to ask him for the truth. If you want to pick back up in verse 6, we're going to read through verse 17. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, and they were sitting in the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, made for himself horns of iron and says, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead in triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah says, As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he answered him, Go up in triumph. They will be given into your hand. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? We'll stop there for now. So as Jehoshaphat presses Ahab for a more legitimate prophet, Ahab says, well, there is one other prophet that he seems to have uh, hidden away or maybe even locked away somewhere. And he said he hid him because His message is just, it's always negative. It's never a good thing when Micaiah has something to say to me. He always brings a message of disaster and just bad things. But Jehoshaphat insists, grab this Micaiah guy. I want to hear what he has to say. And to me, this scene is just, it's comical. I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be, but it feels like the Bible author here is just really 
trying to impress upon us the absurdity of all this. You've got both kings sitting on thrones in the gates of the city. They're not in a palace. They're sitting right there in front of the gates in front of everybody. They're wearing their big old royal robes. And you've got 400 people before them all just keep shouting, you're going to win this battle. It's going to be great. You've got one guy making like props of iron saying, this is what you're going to kill all the Syrians with. It's like... It's just funny to me. And as Micaiah comes into this scene, he kind of gets elbowed. He's like, you see, all 400 of these guys, they're all saying the same thing. It would be very wise for you to follow suit. And Micaiah says something that reminds me a lot of, um, reminds me a lot of Peter's words to the Sanhedrin council. When Peter says, we must obey God rather than men, look at what Micaiah says. As certainly as the Lord lives, I will say what my God tells me to say. Micaiah says, I don't care who's on the throne. I don't care what the 400 other guys say. It doesn't matter to me. There's one thing that matters to me. What does God say? And whatever God says, that's what I'm going to say. Nothing more, nothing less. So they bring Micaiah in. And at first, he kind of almost plays his part, right? They say, okay, Micaiah, what do you say? And he says, yeah, for sure. Go up to battle. You're going to win. And I imagine he said that very theatrically or maybe sarcastically. I don't know. Something in the way that Ahab saw that and he said, that's not the Micaiah that I know. So he says, okay, Micaiah, what do you really have to say? Tell me the real truth. And it feels like Micaiah was just ready to let loose because he immediately, without hesitation, said, I saw all of Israel scattered. They were like a flock of sheep but the shepherd was gone and they were all just running around like crazy. And that's bad news for Ahab. It's bad news for Ahab for a couple of reasons. One, because this is not a message of victory. This is a message of defeat. Israel is scattered. It is an absolute travesty. The second thing is Ahab, as the shepherd of Israel does not like a message where the shepherd is struck and the sheep are scattered. Ahab knows, hearing this, this is a message of Israel is going to lose and Ahab is going to die. And I feel like if I was Ahab and I just heard a prophet of God who I know consistently speaks truth, if I just heard him say to me, hey, by the way, you're going to die if you go through with this battle. I might would take some pause, think through some of the things that Micaiah just said. Ahab immediately goes in. See, I told you he never says anything good. Ahab rejects the message before he seems to even really think through the prophecy. And he's not wrong. This is a pretty definitively bad message. A message of destruction, a message of defeat. 
But Ahab doesn't seem to think for two seconds whether these words might actually be truth. Instead, he just rejects them because they're hard to hear and prefers to listen to the 400 prophets who told him exactly what he already wanted to do. Of course, Micaiah is not surprised. I really want to focus on for a few seconds the next few verses what Micaiah says about this whole process. You want to pick back up in verse 18. We're going to read through verse 27. Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab the king of Israel that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster concerning you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you yourself go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with meager rations of bread and water until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. Notice what Micaiah says. God already knew that these false prophets would deceive Ahab. God himself allowed and sent the spirits of deception to these false prophets. And I don't know the specifics of how all that works. So before you ask me, I'm not going to debate through it. But what I will say is it is clear to me that God allowed Ahab to believe exactly what he already wanted to believe. Ahab wanted to go up to battle. Ahab wanted to take the land from the Syrians. And Ahab didn't really seem much to care about the consequences of that choice. And so Ahab was willing to believe these 400 prophets that told him what he already believed, what he already wanted to hear. Even when Micaiah came and said, These are false words. These will lead to your death. These will lead to the disaster of your nation. Ahab despised the truth. But Micaiah, by contrast, he stands on the truth. To the point of Micaiah confidently saying, before the king, before all of the officials, if Ahab returns alive, God has not spoken by me. Micaiah sort of throws down the gauntlet. Now, as we just talked about, Ahab has already made his decision. By this point in the story, Ahab is 
essentially a lost cause. He has decided, I want to go to this battle no matter what. And he will. What I find really interesting is thinking about Jehoshaphat as it comes to all of this. Jehoshaphat's not like Ahab. Ahab hated the truth of God. All throughout his reign, every time God says something, Ahab goes the exact opposite way. Jehoshaphat isn't like that. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Jehoshaphat cared deeply about the word of God. He followed his commandments courageously, the previous chapter said. And Jehoshaphat sitting here on this throne, seeing this just like Ahab is, he saw the 400 prophets and he didn't trust them. He's the one that said, we need to bring this Micaiah guy in. And then through Micaiah's word, it's exactly as he thought it was. God's truth is, this battle is not going to go well. And Jehoshaphat saw that and he heard that. And yet, for some reason, the next verse tells us, the king of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah attacked Ramoth Gilead. Even though Jehoshaphat knew better, even though this was Jehoshaphat's plan to inquire of God, he didn't listen to the truth that God sent. And it ends very predictably. If you want to pick back up in verse 29, that's where we'll pick back up. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. Which, I know I just said we were going to read this, but I want to take two seconds to say, you know, Micaiah's message seems to have some sort of effect on Ahab, because Ahab heard the message and said, okay, so Micaiah says, I'm going to die, but the rest of my army is going to be fine. So what I'm going to do is I'm just not going to dress up like a king I don't know if he thought he could outsmart God's message or what, but he had this plan in mind that I'm just not going to dress like a king. Jehoshaphat's going to take the fall. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to, and, and it'll be all fine. It doesn't work that way. So back in verse 29, the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And as soon as the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. And God drew them away from him. For as soon as the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king of Israel was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening. And then at sunset, he died. So it went exactly how Micaiah said it was going to go. Ahab is killed, even though he tried to outsmart God to the bitter end. Israel is routed, and Jehoshaphat, for his part, is almost killed, but is spared by God at the last second. 
It is a sad, just sad story about what the rejection of truth can do in our lives. Because when you willingly hear God's truth and then say, that's not for me, it can only end in despair. And that's what Second Chronicles 18 shows. What we'll do as we close, I want to take one point from each of these guys' lives and look at our response to truth. The first person is Ahab. I hope you never find yourself living like Ahab lives. Just a complete disregard and disdain for the truth. But I think there's times where we've all sort of dipped our toes into that life. Where maybe we're not living in complete opposition to God in every way in our life, but there's this one thing that we're really holding on to, even though we know. We know what God says, but we just don't want to give it up. The message from Ahab is... We have got to let our selfishness go. We always need to be open to the truth of God, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. Ahab had done some awful things. He was the worst king in Israel's history, and yet... Even though God knows he's not going to respond to it, God sends him truth one last time. God sends him Micaiah, and he says, Micaiah, tell Ahab, if you do this, you are going to die. God, in his infinite mercy to Ahab, of all people, gave him one last chance told him, this is how this is going to end. Are you ready for that? Now, I know God already knows that Ahab is going to reject this because God says it himself. Ahab's not going to listen. He's going to listen to the deceiving prophets. But I want you to think with me for a second. Ahab had every chance here to repent. Think about the story of King Manasseh of Judah. Manasseh was the worst king of Judah. He was essentially the Ahab of Judah. He was the worst of the worst. And yet, in his dying days, in his last hours, as he is being taken into exile, it is in that moment he finally realizes that God's truth is truth, and he repents. And even then, as he's actively in Babylon, as he's being held up and exiled, God hears his repentance and he returns him to his land. And he gets to live the remainder of his life reigning in Judah. I would submit to you that Ahab was given a very similar chance. Ahab was sent the word of the Lord one last time, and he said, this is what's going to happen if you continue to ignore me. But Ahab didn't repent. Ahab said, that's fine with me, I'll take my chances. And God said, your will be done. 
So the story from Ahab, the lesson from Ahab is be the opposite of Ahab. Be like Manasseh. Be willing to repent even when it hurts. Because there are going to be times where the truth of God is going to hit you like a slap in the face. And you're going to have to say, that is not the way I've been living at all. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt your pride. It's just going to make you sad. And in that time, it's a, it's a temptation for all of us to harden our hearts and say, I don't want to have to deal with that. And that's how you end up like Ahab. Ahab never at any point says Micaiah is someone who spread lies. He just said Micaiah says things I don't like to hear. He doesn't, he doesn't say Micaiah is a liar or that he isn't a prophet of God. He seems to acknowledge Micaiah seems to speak from God. I just don't want to hear what he has to say. So lesson from Ahab, be willing to repent even when it hurts. The second thing is I think a lot of times we find ourselves more in the case of Jehoshaphat. A a good person who wants to follow God that just gets themselves into a messy situation. Jehoshaphat knew what was best. He knew the truth could only be found by God. He found the truth of God, and yet he still didn't hold to it. And sometimes I wonder why. We don't have the time to read it because I'm already running out of time, but the first three verses of the next chapter tell us why. Another prophet comes to Jehoshaphat and he says, here's how you got yourself into this situation. You got yourself into this situation because you, as a righteous man, tried to be a partner with wickedness. And that's what I think the main message of Jehoshaphat's story is. We talk about that phrase, you know, what how do I want to say this, Stephen? Uh, we talk about the idea a lot of bad company corrupting good morals. And where does that line end up? Where is one person's influence outweighing someone else's influence? And I think the lesson from Jehoshaphat is not that we shouldn't be involved in the world. Paul tells us that we have to be involved in the world, but we need to be careful how close we let wickedness come into our lives. Because the prophet tells Jehoshaphat, look, here's how you got yourself into this situation. You tried to become a partner of wicked deeds. Jehoshaphat didn't go into this partnership saying, you know what, I think I'm going to try to sow my seeds in wickedness today. That wasn't the idea. He was just helping out his buddy, who just happened to be a wicked, nasty guy. So we need to be careful the influences we let in our lives. Now, for Jehoshaphat's case... This seemed to be a a big turning point for him. Everything we read after this story for Jehoshaphat is just point after point good stuff. After this, he doubles down on his efforts to get rid of all the idols. And the next time in chapter 20, when four armies are coming to try to destroy Judah, you know the first thing he does? He goes to the temple, lays out the letter before God and says, I don't know what to do, but I know you can help. Jehoshaphat learned his lesson. 
Look for the truth of God and get rid of anything that's holding you back. I don't know if that's friends or if that's a relationship or if that's your job or if it's where you spend your time. Whatever it is, it may hurt to cut it out. But if there is something that holds you back from being able to follow God effectively, it has to go. And that's the lesson Jehoshaphat learned. And the last thing I just want to talk about very quickly is Micaiah. Micaiah got slapped. Micaiah got jailed. Micaiah got treated awfully. And yet, Micaiah said, whatever God says, that's what I'm going to say. Nothing more and nothing less. This is the ideal. I don't know where you are on this scale. I don't know where your life looks like. But Micaiah is what we're all trying to get to. Come what may, I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to speak what he speaks. I'm going to live what he says. And so those are the three perspectives from this. That's the message of 2 Chronicles 18. And we all have to sit and think, where am I here? Where is my life? Am I someone who's living just the opposite way from what God wants me to? Probably not for most of us. But which one of these second two are we at? Are we someone who wants to follow God, but we're just allying a little too close with the things of this world? Are we someone who is fully committed to the truth of God? We're going to say a prayer and then be dismissed to our classes. God, Lord of hosts, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who has delivered your word to us. Let us cling to it always. God, we believe and we follow you. Help our unbelief. Strengthen our hand to your work of truth and help us to only speak your words and only be about your business. Nothing more, nothing less. Amen.